When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. And by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Project Upland Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Larson. Welcome back to the show for episode number 30. You might have heard it in the intro. We are proud to announce a new partner on the Project Upland Podcast, Onyx Maps. Along with Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Onyx Maps is now helping to bring you each and every episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Check them out, onxmaps.com. We've talked about them at length here on the show. I interviewed Matt Seidel, product manager, on episode number three. I am a big fan of Onyx Maps, Onyx Hunt, the mobile application, the web viewer. Not many a day go by that I do not open up either one of those applications. 
It's an incredible tool. They continue to innovate and push the envelope and determine what we as outdoor adventurers, explorers, upland hunters, wing shooters can use Onyx Maps for. I'm excited to see where they go next with it. On today's show, I interview Travis Warren. Travis happens to be the host of another podcast, the recently released Upchucker podcast, where he talks about hunting chucker in the great state of Nevada, where he is from. And I just properly pronounced, as Travis will confirm a little ways into our episode today. Travis and I take a deep dive on his upland hunting history background. We talk a lot about chucker hunting in Nevada, his cohorts in Nevada chucker chasers, what he's doing with the Upchucker podcast and website and where he plans to take it. I hope you enjoy today's show. Let's welcome Travis Warren to the Project Dublin Podcast. Travis Warren, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you, man? I'm awesome, Mr. Nick Larson. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Yeah, it's my pleasure. We've uh, we've been uh, battling with a few technical difficulties over the last half hour, which has allowed me to get a beer down and pour another one, so that's good. Uh, ho- hopefully that's uh, in our rearview mirror and, and uh, we can chat a little bit about chucker hunting. Well, now you know what my wife feels like. I- I'm a difficult person. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the last time I had this much trouble uh, recording a podcast, I was talking to Jack Steffen. And uh, he will he will laugh at that if he's listening to this because we actually stretched it out over like two weeks by the time we finally got oh, his really? recorded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my gosh! So Travis, yeah. you are well. I gotta ask you this first. You, I don't know what you do for a living, but are you like a radio DJ? No, I'm not a radio DJ. Because you got a radio voice, man. I have a face for radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, I I don't know if I would go that far. I don't know if I'd go that far. But you, I gotta I gotta say, you've been you've been you're you're on episode seven of the Upchucker podcast, which we will talk about a little bit. You're doing yeah, a great job with that to start. But uh, you well, sound that's high praise coming from you, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, I'm only well. This this will be episode thirty, so I'm uh, I'm still getting my still getting my feet under me, but. It's fun, and uh, I gotta say, you sound good. You, uh, it sounds professional. Great job. Um, sick intro music. I was, I was uh, messaging your cousin today about. Uh, get, or no, it was your nephew, right? No, no, he's my cousin. Cousin. Okay, I did get that right. Yeah. yeah so the uh, yeah. hopefully the hopefully the Project Upland podcast has uh, has some killer beats intro here pretty soon, like the Upchucker podcast does. Uh, you like the intro beat? I do. I think it's very cool. I, I, I messaged your cousin today and I said that uh, the first time I heard it, I said, I need that on the Project Upland podcast. And then I, and I didn't know if I was going to reach out to you and ask you about it or what I was going to do. And then I listened to another episode and you mentioned his name and I was like, I got to get in touch with him. Yeah, no, he, he's an he's an excellent producer. You know, and when I when I was getting started, I figured because I listened to yours, um, I listen to other podcasts, obviously. I think like most of us, we listen to Joe Rogan and uh, Wired to Hunt and all that stuff. And, yep. and I thought, man, I got to have some kind of introduction. I can't just do a cold introduction and just yeah. – so I, I, I reached out to him because he's the only one that I knew that could do music. And what he produced for me was just – was gold. I mean, I love it. I love listening to it. it I think it's become uh, sort of the sound of the Upchecker podcast. And, uh, and so, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier. 
Yeah, I th- I, I'm with you. I think it's I think it's spot on. It's just got it's just got kind of a cool feel, and now I sort of associate it with the Upchucker podcast, and I associate the Upchucker podcast with it. So it's it's just uh, yeah, it's a great sound. Right. That's good stuff. So you are in Nevada, right? You know, Nick, I'm so glad that you actually pronounced it correctly. <laughs> so because it's it's Nevada, not I Nevada. Sure, I wasn't sure if you were going to hit a home run with that or not. <laughs> that is a bone of contention us Nevadans have with people, is that they pronounce it Nevada. And I tell you what, it's like nails on a chalkboard to a Nevadan. It is Nevada. It will always be Nevada. But thank you for pronouncing it correctly. Well, I'm happy I could do that. That's... uh. I think I've only ever said it that one way, and I'm glad we could set the record straight here on the Project Dublin podcast. We can continue our friendship. Yes, exactly. So so whereabouts in Nevada are you, Travis? Well, I'm in the big city of Reno. Oh. So that's all It's on the west side of the state, um, probably closer to California. Well, it is closer to California than it would be, um, you know, the, anything on the eastern side of the state so yeah we're right on the on the east side of the sierras from uh, sacramento so we're about midway up the state uh kind of the uh the little vegas although i don't want to call it little vegas we're yeah, sort yeah, of more yeah. the, the outdoor adventure area we definitely have a lot going for us in terms of variety i mean you can gamble you can go to casinos you can do all that stuff here uh, but you also have an opportunity to drive 40 minutes and hit some of the nicest ski resorts in the world. Um, you can hike up and see Lake Tahoe, which is the jewel of the Sierras for a reason. It is every I've, I've lived here for a long time, and every, even every time I drive there, it's a, it just blows me away. So, I mean, this place is fantastic. Uh, it's up and coming. It's growing. It's becoming a lot more metropolitan. Um, I love it because... It's big enough to where it's not crazy, but it's close enough to the mountains. It's close enough to public land. It's close enough to all the things that I love to do with all of the uh, conveniences of a big city. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously you're familiar with the name Reno and, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't been out West a ton. I've never done anything outdoors out West, which obviously I know I'm missing out, but, uh, I, we've got are. a we've got a bit of a playground out here, which I have been enjoying. But I do intend to uh, to expand my horizons a little bit. I would not have known this, but for a couple months ago, I think I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, probably with Cam Haynes or something, and they kind of went in. They went off on a little tangent about just how wild and expansive Nevada is. Yeah, I mean, about eighty percent of the land here is public land, and we have. More mountain ranges in this state than any other state in the lower 48. I think the only one that we come behind is Alaska. Wow. So, I mean, if you think about that in terms of just your ability to get out and do stuff, um, I mean, when I, and we'll get into it, but when I first started checker hunting, I literally walked out my back door into the dirt and walked up the mountain behind my house. No way. That was my first year of trucker hunting was literally walking behind my house up to the mountain and, well, attempting to hunt trucker. <laughs> that's, dude, that's like, that's kind of like, that's like old school. That's like what people talk about the good old days of upland hunting was, was getting home from school, walking, you know, walking off the bus or walking home from school, grabbing the shotgun and heading out back. I mean, that's, that's awesome. 
So just to give you some perspective even further, I was actually up on the very top of the mountain behind my house, and uh, I just caught out of the corner of my eye. So I was probably, as the crow flies, uh, probably a mile from my house. I could see my house from the top of the mountain. Sure. And um, at the corner of my eye, I caught movement, and I look over the side, and there is a beautiful bighorn sheep, a beautiful ram walking, trying to sneak below the ridgeline underneath me, probably 100 yards away. And that's that was what I was, that's what I got to experience when I first started getting into hunting, was just those encounters. And, and I mean, I still have awesome encounters like that to this day, but, I mean, that was just behind my house. That's cool. That's that's great stuff. I mean, I'm I'm a Midwest guy here. We're used to having some some pretty decent uh, whitetail bucks in our backyard, but something about a, something about a bighorn sheep. I mean, that sounds badass. It is really. I mean, it's really cool. Those animals are so cool looking. Um, I, I run across them every once in a while hunting out here. Um, I mean, they just like the the nasty terrain too. So generally, if you're going to be up there chucker hunting, you're going to run into some pretty cool animals. Absolutely. All right, Travis. Well, we kind of uh, we sidetracked a little bit there, but that's uh, that's what we like to do. Um, let's re <laughs> let's rewind and and go back to the beginning because I know this. You didn't grow up an upland hunter, but why don't you why don't you give us a little background and tell us how you wound up in the world of upland hunting and that ultimately turning into chucker hunting. So yeah, uh, real reminiscent to actually Anthony Farrow's story. I didn't I didn't grow up chucker hunting at all. I didn't even grow up in a hunting family. Period. I raced dirt bikes. I skateboarded. Um, you know, we moved around. We're kind of a nomadic family. I uh, was born in Los Angeles. Moved moved to Northern California. Lived there for a while. We moved on up to uh, Northern Washington, up on the border, uh, just north of a town called Bell- a city called Bellingham. Uh, and then from there, my mom is English, and so is my stepdad, and my stepdad is a pilot, and so we ended up leaving the U.S. and going to England. Wow. And we settled, yeah, we settled just outside of London uh, in a little town called, well, called we were just outside of a little town called Woking, and I finished high school and college out there and still wasn't hunting, um, and then I had a two-year visa to go to New Zealand. And I was going to travel around and do that stuff. And I ended up coming back and visiting Reno right after, right after 9-11. Uh, and I met – so anyways, my, my biological uh, grandfather was here. So I stopped in to say hi. And as life happens, uh, I met my wife, who – I met my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife. And I never left. And uh, I just fell in love with the area. Obviously fell in love with my wife. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. You know, fell in love with my wife, and, and I didn't want to leave. And I thought I was going to be moving around a ton. And so, anyways, um, make a long story short, um, I started dating my wife, and her dad is about as big of a hunter fisherman that uh, that you can that you can find. Yeah, I mean, he says there's he has four things that he loves in life, and that's smoking, drinking, uh, fishing, and hunting. And so. Um, <laughs> You know, for me, I, I had no idea. I had no concept of what hunting was. I mean, I, you see it in the media, but that's really, that's a negative portrayal of what, what it really is. Yeah, it can be, for um, sure. And so, you know, I mean, really, the conversations were, you know, pretty, 
pretty sterile. I mean, I didn't really have anything to talk to him about. And so I kind of figured I needed to learn something about hunting so that we could talk because I, I mean, I, I, you know, at the time I really liked his daughter and maybe I thought, you know, maybe we get married down the road. So I want this guy to like me. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, so I hung around long enough. I guess he figured I wasn't leaving. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I asked him enough questions and it was kind of around that, uh, kind of around that time. I think it was, uh, a couple years into dating that I, he took me out on my first, he took me out on a bull elk hunt. He had a, he had a bull elk tag eastern nevada and i didn't even own a pair of hiking boots like i didn't have any i mean i didn't so i had to go down to cabela's buy you know what i thought was a really expensive like an 80 pair of 80 dollar pair of, of, of like hunting boots um <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a camouflage jacket and uh and yeah i shipped on out with him on, on, a, on an elk hunt and it was probably the worst hunt in my entire life <laughs> i ate I ate something the night before, which did not agree with me. And I ended up with like the holy Hannah of gastrointestinal bugs. And I couldn't make it through the night in the tan. I kept having to run out and uh, I'll spare you the details, but it was embarrassing for me because I'm supposed to be there presenting a good, uh, you know, a good image to this guy. Yeah. You were and, trying to be, uh, you were trying to be Mr. Adventure, Mr. Tough, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, anyway, so that, that hunt, that hunt was not a great hunt, but kind of in that process, I was learning a little bit more about it. I found, you know, I started making friends that were hunters, um, and and then a buddy of mine uh, named Scott Foremaster, a buddy of mine, said, "Hey, let's go hunt chucker," and I'm like, "What the hell is a chucker? Like, what, I mean, what, what what is it?" And he's like, "Oh, it's a, you, got, you got a shotgun," and I'm like, "I don't, I don't, know, I don't own a shotgun. I don't have a shotgun." So I had to borrow a shotgun from my father-in-law, and. Uh, and so we get out there on this mountain, and I had no idea what they looked like. Uh, I didn't know where you'd look for them. And he just reassured me. He's like, oh, yeah, you'll know when you see them. And, I mean, it was we had a good time. It was beautiful. We, you know, we hiked around. We did see birds, um, you know, but I just saw glimpses of them as they just flew away. And I mean, I I shot at him. I didn't. I scared him. I I call. I educated those birds that day. And you had no uh, you had no dog on that hunt, I imagine. No, and I didn't have a dog for years, and, and we'll talk more about yeah. Hazel um, and the life change that that caused. Yep. But yeah, no, I, and so that was my first introduction to chucker hunting, and yeah, I was like, man, this is kind of crazy. And then I discovered that you know there was birds behind my house, and and we actually lived you know in the sort of same subdivision, and so that kind of began this uh, uh, obsession with trying to unlock the riddle of chucker hunting. And so I, I would go out with Scott, and we he had a lab, but the lab he was he's no, he was no good. No, he, <laughs> he wasn't much of a hunting dog. We'll just put it that way. Sure. And uh, and so yeah, we, we essentially would have to bust these birds ourselves. So we would we would find ourselves hiking uh, miles, and we would we would find birds, and then we would we kind of it was a running joke. We would get to the point where we were so exhausted we just were ready to give up and then we'd, we'd hear him chucking and so we would you know we'd, we'd scramble over there and we'd flush him up ourselves like we were the dogs and you know we'd shoot at him and then they'd fly to the next ridge and we'd just look at each other and we went well we've been looking for him all day we finally found him 
I guess we're going. And that was the thing. I, we just started going. And so I'm just lucky I had a buddy in the beginning that was, that was as uh, single-minded as I was. Yeah. So, you know, we just kind of looked at each other at that point. We kind of knew, yeah, we're going for him. And we just, we just got after him. And it probably took me four, probably four or five years before I shot my first chucker. And I had that picture um, and I look back on it and I, the, the, the grin I have on my face was, was priceless. You know, it's just, <laughs> it was, and I took it and I, and I ate it that night and it was the best tasting thing I'd ever tasted to this day. Um, it was, it was, it was the probably you talk about the first, you know, Anthony talked about the first and last podcast. I mean, that was the first for me, uh, and something that, that it will, would just live with me and, you know, for eternity. Yeah, that's that's man. You stuck it out though. Four or five years to t- to shoot a bird. Were you were you doing other hunting like during that time, or were you just hammering away? You were just hammering away at chucker hunting, and and eventually you got that bird. No, I was. Uh, you know, I I got into big game hunting, and I'm still into big game hunting. Okay, and so I, you know, I I had my first deer tag, and uh, it's kind of in that time period, and that was when I first discovered what it means to get scoped by the rifle. Oh, um, oh yeah. And, uh, so I ended up with a nice scar over my eye. Um, you know, when it, when a buck jumped up out of a, a, patch of a quaking aspen and I, you know, and I tried to shoot it on the run, um, didn't hit it, educated it. And, and, and so, uh, and I had a, uh, an antelope tag and I actually got a really nice uh, buck antelope. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I had some other experiences hunting, uh, in that time period. So it wasn't just, I wasn't just solely focused on hunting chucker. It was something that I that I loved to do, but I was also learning as a hunter. I was uh, yeah. I was new into the entirety of of of, of the sport, and so, um, you know, I as much as I was learning how to hunt chucker and, and really the strategy behind it, I was also learning the strategy of hunting big game, um, the, the strategy of, of proper field to table care of your meat. Um, you know, how to dress, you know, how, how to field dress an animal. I mean, they're just all the things that are quite intimidating for a new hunter. Uh, I was just trying to soak in as much as I could. I was watching as many, you know, solo hunter television, you know, YouTube shows. I was yep. watching Randy, Randy Newberg, um, you know, Fresh Tracks. I was watching anything that I could find that, that could, that I could learn from. I was consuming. I mean, I was, I was a voracious consumer of, of hunting information during that time period. And, you know, and, and, and to a point still, still very much am, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was doing all kinds of, I was trying to just learn and, and do other hunts in the, in the process. Yeah. That, that's interesting because I think that's maybe something that gets overlooked in that somebody that is welcomed into say a hunting family from a young age. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parallels regardless of the species that you're pursuing, but hunting, you know, it's kind of an art form and there's a lot of things about, you know, tracking, observing and hunting wild game that, that, you know, you just, you sort of pick that stuff up and over, you know, the longer you do it, obviously the more of a, probably that, probably that hunter sense, kind of that sixth sense that you have. So yeah, when you, when you start later in life, I mean, that's a lot of stuff that you, that you've got to pick up. And I, I could see where, you know, I, I mean, I do it to this day. Like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much a voracious consumer of, of hunting information and it's driven, it's driven by passion and, and there's just, there's so much to learn. I mean, there, there, there really is. It's, it's, it's cool. 
You know, absolutely. And I mean, one of the greatest uh, resources that I found and, um, you know, is, is Bobby Michael with, with Checker Culture. I mean, he, you know, he was providing, you know, he, he would have some, some pretty good conversations or, or at least points to make in regards to, you know, how to feel dressed Chucker. I mean, there's a couple of different methods you can use. And, and, you know, he was trying to figure out, you know, what are some of the ways. And, and those were all things to me like, wow, that's, that's eye opening. Like there's more than one way to do this. I mean, literally one more, more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, having a, him having his blog and, and, and writing, I mean, that was, that was just something that was tremendously helpful for me. And I think really helped me maintain my passion during those challenging early years because I was, you know, I was, I needed some guidance, you know, so that I could get better. Because I think that if you just keep doing the same thing, you know, you end up falling into, you know, uh, Einstein's definition of insanity, you know, yeah. just doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So you needed to find, you know, the bits and pieces of information that maybe you were overlooking or you were missing to sort of unlock that riddle of, gosh, where do you find them? Uh, you know, and in that process, I mean, you talked about, you know, just learning how to hunt. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously what I know now and what everybody should understand is the first thing you need to figure out is every, you need to know is that every animal has got to drink water. So where do you, you know, where's the water? So if you can start figuring out where water is, you can then start figuring out where you can, you know, starting point and then you work away, you know, you kind of work out from there and you look for, you know, feed and then you look for, you know, places for shelter and uh, you look for, you know, escape routes for, uh, for animals, you know, cause they, they're, they're survivalists. They're out there. Their whole life is revolved around staying away from predators, um, staying away from wolves, staying away from bears, staying away from coyotes, mountain lions, bobcats, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, they, they live with an intent to stay alive. And so you just have to figure out, you know, if I were a bird, if I were a chucker or I were a grouse or I were a deer, where would I be? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think most, most animals are a lot better, especially wild, I mean, wild game, obviously they're a lot better at surviving than we are hunting, but it's, you know, it's just, uh, you're trying to get the edge on them that one day in time. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes it happens and, and those are the days that make us smile. But I think, you know, you having those struggles and challenges early on, I mean, it sounds like, you know, as any seasoned hunter knows the, the hard days make the good days even better. And, and, uh, you know, that it sounds like kind of, you got solidified in there pretty quick. Were you, were you, I got to ask before we kind of move away from this, were you real neutral on hunting before your, your father-in-law, you went with, out with your father-in-law, were you against it at all? Or were you just pretty neutral for lack of opportunity? Oh, I mean, you know, I didn't really have an opinion on it. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I ate meat. I've always been, a, you know, an omnivore, so okay. I've always eaten meat. So, I mean, for me, um, there was really, I didn't understand the necessity that I do now sure. for me to do that. And I, because I didn't really understand, you know, factory farming. I didn't understand, you know, that, um, you know, we want to talk about, you know, ethical treatment of animals. I mean, a lot of the ways these animals are, are slaughtered mass, you know, they're, it's not the most ethical, you know, they're, it's not the, it's not the nicest way. And so for yeah. me, you know, what I see is this ability now to have a conscious decision of, of how, you know, how my meat will be procured. And, and, and that responsibility is on my shoulders. 
to to make a clean shot, to make sure that what I'm doing is is ethically and morally correct in terms of harvesting animals. So staying within the laws, you know, making sure that I practice shooting. So I shoot, you know, uh, animals, uh, you know, when I harvest an animal, you know, I'm doing it, um, you know, with the, with the least uh, discomfort for the animal possible. And so... My, you know, my father-in-law was, he's a very gracious individual. And he's a very honest and open individual. And so when I started hunting, you know, he's in his late fifties. Um, he'd already been the guy that I am now, which is the guy who loves to hike into the back country. The guy that loves to just, you know, push and make it hard and, and have things be difficult. Um, you know, and he told me, he was very honest. He said, you know, you need to find people your age to hunt with, because if you want to find that specific animal, you see the top of that mountain right there. That's where you need to go. And he just wasn't at a point in his hunting career where that's what he, that's where he want, that's what he wanted to do. And so he was, um, you know, he, now he just uses hunting as an excuse to get out of the house. He doesn't even care if he harvests. He just likes to be able to go out there and to be in Mother Nature, experience the peacefulness and, and the and the and the connectedness that I think all hunters can appreciate when we're experiencing Mother Nature and, and being in nature itself. And so he loves to just experience other people's experiences when they're out there. So you know, I, I took that advice and and, I, and when I started finding people my you know of my my fitness level of, of you know that were the same minded of me. And I realized, because for me, you know, hunting from a truck is not, is not hunting. Um, you know, road hunting is not hunting for me. And I'm sorry if I offend anybody, but that's just not my version of hunting. It's not what I choose to do. Yeah. My version of hunting and the hunting that I do with my friends is difficult. It's backcountry. You know, this last season, elk hunting, we were seven and a half to eight and a half miles into wilderness area, living in a tarp shelter in the snow. Um, you know, we wanted to earn it because I think there's an aspect of... Um, you know, you need to earn the right to be out there. You need to earn the right to be, uh, to, you know, to harvest an animal. And and I appreciate when I cook an elk steak. I appreciate what went into harvesting that meat. When I have hiked, you know, ten miles and I have not found a bird, and I finally shoot a bird, I am thankful for that meat because I know this one equity that's been put in to get that. And I'm not, you know, so that, but that's how I, that's me. That's, that's my perception of the hunting that I want to be involved in. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, you touched on a lot of good stuff there. And, and number one, we I've hit on a little bit here. I think it's a past episodes, kind of the phases that you go through as a hunter and, you know, it's, it's been written about and talked about. Um, but I, but I think most importantly, the, the beauty of hunting is that you really can create the experience that you want to create. And, and, and that is due, that is due to fortunately the resources that we have available to us. And it's a good segue because I wanted to ask you about public lands, you know, the resources that we have available to us for you to be able to hike in seven, eight miles somewhere. I mean, just think about how cool that is that you can do that on public land and i i'm i'm gonna go out on a limb and and venture to guess that you're hunting a very high percentage of public land if 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 not completely is that the case oh yeah i mean i don't hunt private land i mean it's it's not a necessity here to hunt private land um you know everything that i go on is all public you know and i use an onyx an onyx map chip and my gps uh, my you know my garmin you know, combo collar and 
And so I've got that onyx. I know exactly where I'm at in terms of public land. I know exactly where I can be hunting. And so for me, it's that ability to enjoy the public land has been procured for us. And it's been secured for us. And so, yeah, it's exclusively public land hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how do you like the how do you like the Onyx chip in the Garmin? For me, it was a game changer. It took out all the question marks that there ever were in terms of you know, am I crossing somebody's property boundary? Am I am I on you know, uh, you know, am I in an area that I can't hunt? And and it just takes away all the question marks. Not to mention that the that you know the map itself is, is great. And so, you know, I take that when I go bluegrass hunting up, up in Tahoe, um, so I know exactly where I can be. Uh, I take that when, you know, anyway, especially if I'm anywhere close to, you know, a town or anything like that. I just know where I can be because I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to cross anybody's private land. I don't want to ever be in a situation where, you know, legality-wise, it's questionable. You know, I want, you know, and so you know, luckily in Nevada, you don't really have to worry a lot about that. But that Onyx chip is for me, this one of the single best investments I ever made in terms of hunting. Awesome. Um, since we are sort of on topic, let's talk a little bit about chucker hunting tactics and with res- the respect, um, like, like pre-scouting. Do you do, do you do pre-scouting using satellite imagery? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's one of the things that the guys, the Chuck Chasers and I talk about is, is pre-scouting with Google Earth, uh, Google Maps, um, satellite, you know, all those things. Because, I mean, really, you're not going to see Chucker. I mean, there's just no way that the, you know, the, that the satellite's going to catch that image. Yeah. But, you know, again, like I go back to, you're looking for those, those, those things that create a good habitat. You're looking for water. You're looking for cover. You're looking for feed. Um and, and, and with Chucker, you're looking for some elevation. You know, you, you, you're you looking for that rim rock, which is that nasty stuff that, that rings, you know, the, the, the ridges. Um, you know, the nastier the ridges, the nastier the rim rock, the steeper the elevation. Um, you know, if you stand at the bottom and you look at the top and you kind of scan the mountainside and you look and you go, gosh, I don't want to go there. That's exactly where you need to go. That's exactly where those birds are gonna be. So you might as well just suck it up, Chuck, and just and just get in it. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, we're yeah using satellite imagery, especially you know, you know, I I try and hunt new places every year. I mean, there's some there's some yes, there's some old standbys you know that I'll yep. go to, but but I mean, part of hunting for me is fulfilling the adventurous side that I have in finding new places and seeing new things and experiencing the firsts, um, you know, that it's hunting is an excuse in a lot of ways for me to be in nature. And so I love to explore. Um, and so being able to, to, to do that research and say, okay, well, here's a road here and I can, I can kind of, I can drop a way mark on my Garmin. And then, you know, this is the road, this is the, the, the turn I have to make. And then this is where I want to be. Um, yeah, there's a lot of question marks and it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of figure those question marks out as you go. And, and, but yeah, I'm doing a lot of, a lot of scouting on the computer, uh, much to the annoyance of my wife, she's an incredibly patient <laughs> person. So, yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, especially, you know, recently that's, that's really been consuming me. I, I do a ton of 
advanced scouting and it's probably just an excuse for me to think about hunting while I'm while I'm uh you know not hunting and uh get on get on Google Maps or Onyx or whatever and uh and spin around a little bit but I finding new spots has has really become a joy of mine lately and and you know I, I was it was always kind of there the 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 willingness to venture out and explore but but it's really it's kind of become top of mind in the last few years finding that that new spot getting out you know where you know there's more than likely somebody's probably been there but but it's yours for that day and, sure. and there's nobody nobody else there and you can kind of take in that moment and that memory is yours forever and i think that's again that's that's part of what what drives all of us well i think that's the evolution of a hunter you know, I think that as a hunter, as you learn more, as you become more proficient in the skills that you've learned, you do have to push yourself to learn more. I mean, life in general, I mean, my biggest fear is being stagnant. You know, I never want to feel stagnant. I never want to feel like I'm, you know, mediocre. I want to feel like I'm pushing myself and challenging myself and, and purposely making things difficult to really to test where I'm at and really how much this means to me. And so finding new places. And I mean, the last day of the season, the last day of the season I went out this year, I thought I was in, I thought I was going to be in the honey hole. I did some great scouting. I thought, gosh, if there's no birds there, uh, you know, you know, you know, I'm going to eat crow. And, and there was no birds, you know, and, and I mean, there was fresh droppings on the ground, which is another great thing. And, you know, talk about tactics in a minute, but, you know, there's fresh droppings. So I knew they were in the vicinity somewhere, but I don't know where they went. And I hunted all day and I didn't see a one. I saw sage grouse, but you can't hunt them in that area. So I just, I, I just watched those cool birds, those B-52s, man, just fly across. And, uh, you know, but yeah, I got skunked on the last day. I mean, I took a gamble, you know, but that's part of it it's part of challenging yourself and it's part of um growing as an individual and growing as a hunter and and, and getting outside your comfort zone will you go back to that spot next year oh 100 i know they're up there somewhere i mean like i said i saw fresh droppings i just don't know where they went and i mean we scoured the heck i mean they could have gone across the valley across the canyon to the other side i mean there's a lot of places they could have gone but the thing with Nevada is it's so big, and I mean, you have so many choices. Do I go left? Do I go right? And the great example was a buddy, uh, Jake and Kate and me, myself, we went out this year to a spot. He went left, I went right. I got one bird, he got a limit, you know, and that's just the luck of the draw. And uh, and and so, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I'll definitely go back there. I'll definitely go back there. And I may go back there the first, you know, in the, in the beginning of the year. Who knows? I'm not really sure what, how my, how my year is going to be planned out uh, in terms of chucker. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely a place I'll revisit next year. Do you hunt, do you hunt exclusively Nevada or do you venture out a little bit? Yeah. So being in Nevada, you're a bit, I'm a bit spoiled. I think sure. we're all a bit spoiled living here. I mean, we've got so many, I, I haven't gone. Yeah. I haven't gone outside. I mean, I've gone outside. I haven't gone outside the borders of California. <laughs> uh, we talked about, you know, theoretically, if we didn't draw tags for, for big game here, we'd go, you know, out, out of the state for that. But uh, in terms of bird hunting, I mean, really, to be honest with you, yeah, I, I haven't gone outside. But the thing is, I also don't have, I didn't have the connections then, last season, that I do now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, for me, being able to, you know, Going outside was not really a necessity. Uh, you know, I mean, heck, we've got, we're the only state that has Himalayan snowcock in it. 
You know, I mean, who else has got that? Nobody else, not in the U.S. Um, you know, we've got, we've got, uh, you know, quail, sage grouse. We've got chucker. Um, we've got, uh, I think we've got some pheasants, but although I think a lot of them are on uh, private land now. Sure. But, uh, you know, you've got ducks here. I mean, you, I, I, in terms of what we're, in terms of what I'm into, I mean, I, I've always been, you know, romanticized about the idea of, of pheasant hunting. I always thought that that was really cool. Um, but, you know, everybody you would talk about going to Montana and places like that. and It just never really fit into my travel plans. Um, but, you know, like I said, things are different now. I mean, I have a lot of friends now in different states, and, and that's opened up a lot of opportunities. And we can, you know, kind of get into how social media and, and doing what I'm doing has really – you know, it's been a catalyst for making a lot of new friends. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I won't say that it's the case for everybody, but there are a lot of people, you know, kind of regardless of where they live in this country, where you have opportunities not too far out your back door and, and people can talk about the urbanization of society. And that is certainly the case, but there are still ample opportunities as long as we uh, fight to keep them around. But it's, you know, like you said, you just almost don't have too much of a need to go much further because you've got you got such spoils there, which is which is awesome. Yeah, and I mean, we've got blue grouse, we've got rough grouse here as well. You got rough uh, you know, grouse in Nevada? Oh heck yeah, we do, buddy. Have you hunted them? You know, uh, I have tried to hunt them. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of the time, you know, I think a lot like you would expect, grouse is. For some people, an opportunistic. They're usually out big game hunting, sure, and they sure. run across a grouse. They get the crap scared out of them because it flushes next to them. And, um, you know, they take an opportunistic shot. The last two years for me, I, I really seriously got into blue grouse hunting. Um, okay. And the first year, uh, I saw them when I was fly fishing up in, up in the Tahoe area. And so I, was, I went back there exclusively trying to find them, and I never did find them. And, you know, I... I was watching like Fred Baum. He's got a couple of YouTube channels on how to scout for good grouse, you know, blue grouse territory and stuff like that. And that was even before I knew who Fred Baum was. But, you know, I, I just kind of devoured as much information. And then this year I actually finally unlocked the code. Uh, I didn't actually go to Tahoe. I went um, to the interior of Nevada to find them. And, you know, I did find them and I unlocked the code. Now it's just a ton of fun. Uh, it was Hazel's first year really ever smelling a blue grouse. So that was kind of a fun introduction for her. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've got rough grouse. I passed, uh, you know, a nice cubby of them. Um, you know, in, I mean, it's literally, it's an eight hour drive from here in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's a, it's a place called the Jarbage Wilderness. And I don't care if I talk about it because I tell you what, knowing what I know about the Jarbage Wilderness, uh, just cause I tell you that they're in there, A, doesn't mean you'll find them. And B, <laughs> doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you have the cojones to go in there and get them. So, uh, it, the Jarbage Wilderness is a fantastical, is just a fantastic, magical place uh, for me that just has a spot in my heart uh, to where I elk hunt is probably going back to this year uh, it is just a fantastic place but I know where they are um, but I you know at that time I was elk hunting and, and I didn't uh, I didn't bring a shotgun I wasn't going to pack two rifles in so um, but yeah we got rough grass we got rough grass a couple places here a couple couple of mountain ranges here in Nevada um, you know you've got the blue then you've got the dusky grouse so yeah, I mean we've got we've got our grouse here. Cool. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Hazel, and I think that's a that's a good segue. 
Hazel is your German short hair pointer, correct? Yes. Yeah. So at some point during this upland adventure that uh, that is your life and your hunting career, you decided that <laughs> you decided that you wanted to get a bird dog. And uh, why don't you tell us what what led you to this point that uh, juncture and uh, what it's been like uh, having a having a pointer. I had never hunted behind a dog. I mean, my buddy's lab, that really wasn't a great experience. I didn't really understand what a pointing dog did and what it was. And I met my buddy. Well, my buddy, Jake Kincaid, invited me out to go chucker hunting with him. And he has three fantastic German short hair pointers. And that was the first time I got to see a pointing dog do its thing and actually find birds. And it just opened my eyes to the possibilities of what, of how much of an improved experience it would be hunting with a dog. And then, so I came back that day and, you know, like many ideas that I have, I, I shared it with my wife and she kind of looked at me sideways and, and you know, <laughs> she knows that I get excited about things, but then they sort of fizzle out from time to time. So yeah. she, she sort of just kept that idea at, at, at arm's length. And it, you know, I, I ended up finding a, a local dog, a, a local group here called the German short hair club of Reno, which I'm, you know, I'm a member of. And, and, and I, I literally, as a new guy, I found out that they were having a field trial, uh, not far from my house. And I told my wife, I'm going to go out and I'm going to see if, you know, I can talk to somebody and, and learn about dogs. And she said, do you know anybody out there? And I said, Nope. And she's like, you, but you're going to go out there? And I said, what's the worst they can do? You know, I mean, come on. Like, you know, I'm not afraid of rejection. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I picked, you know, I drove out there and, you know, I was a little nervous. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what the heck's going on. I don't know where. I, I honestly didn't know where to park. I didn't want to park, like, right in the middle of, the, you know, the, the field. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to figure, you know, I, I made my way up there. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, a longtime friend of the family, unbeknownst to me and even my wife, uh, was the, the treasurer of the club. And, no way. Yeah, and so you know, it was like it was obviously instant connection, and you know, instant you know, welcomed in with open arms, and um, and I met another buddy out there who had two Britneys, and then for that season, we just hunted, we hunted with his Britneys, and you know, you got to the point where hunting with a dog, you like, kind of didn't want to go out without your, you went know, without a dog because it was a lot easier. And so I, I kind of call him and bug the crap out of him. He's like, I can't go this weekend. And I'm like, damn, you know, it's so like go off by myself, you know, walking around and, you know, and I'm just like, man, it was so much better with those dogs. And, and so I just kept on going out there and learning and just talking to the, the guys that the guys and the gals that were out there training and they taught me and they're just really gracious. They just brought me in. They taught me about dogs. They taught me about how to be a responsible dog owner because I'd only had, you know and you just put food down and you know they were house pets but i mean you really when i was getting into you know the idea of getting into a dog is a a hunting dog's expensive i mean we had a, a rescue dog that costs like things like 50 bucks to rescue and i think the rescuing animals is a very noble thing and and you should do that but you know for me i we had talked and my wife said fine you're obviously not shutting up about it you can get a dog <laughs> and i'm like Woo! <laughs> so i really took I really took the onus on myself to try and to, to learn as much as I could. So they put me on to a breeder. And I, this, again, was a, a, concept, a concept that I was just so born to me that you actually have to be on a list. And I'm like, a list? Don't you just go buy a dog? I mean, like, you have to, you have, what, what the heck is this waiting list? 
you know, and then you have to be us, you know, you want to be somewhere in a certain area on, you know, certain ranking on that waiting list. And so, I mean, there was just a lot of these foreign concepts. Yep. And so we were, we were on a list for a year waiting for a breed, waiting for our puppy. And, uh, you know, it just, as luck has it, sometimes it just absolutely fell apart that, you know, the breeding, they didn't have as many puppies as they thought. And, I mean, we'd been waiting for a year. We put our deposit in. I mean, we were just so excited. And then it just, it just all fell apart. We were just so bummed. Um, and we just kind of accepted the fact that we weren't going to get a dog. And then, you know, we had, we got this, uh, this, this email out of the blue, um, uh, from a gal named, uh, Ryan Carson and she had Hazel and Hazel was supposed to go to a guy in Texas and she flew him down to Texas and, and, you know, he was just going through some financial trouble. So she couldn't, she didn't want to leave, uh, Hazel with him. And so she brought him back and essentially, you know, it was her and her sister and they were picking the litter and she's like, well, I was kind of going to keep him, but I got an email. And, and so, um, you know, it, if, you know, if you're interested, you know, we're three and a half hours away, you can come down and have a look. So I, I sent the picture to my buddy. He sent it off to one of his breeders in, in Maine. She looked at it. She said, well, conformity-wise, dog looks great. I, you know, scoured through pedigree, just trying to see. Because, I mean, I had no idea. And I know it's, you know, sometimes it's it's a crapshoot. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was yep. like, I, was like I, you know, I, I want to do at least the due diligence that I can do to, to make sure at least that I'm getting a good dog. And so everything seemed to line up. And so we drove three and a half hours into, into, you know, into middle of California. And my wife, she just confided to me. She said, you realize that if we're driving three and a half hours, we're going home with a dog. And I'm like, oh, so much pressure. Because I knew <laughs> if, if she wasn't a good hunter, if it was, you know, if it's all this, it was, you know, it was going to be, it's going to kind of be a bummer because it's an investment. I mean, yeah. not only is it's a financial investment, you know, they're, you know, it was, she was expensive. And so, you know, it was one of those things where she's like, if we're going to spend this kind of money, you know, you better be serious about this. And I was like, okay. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we ended up, we got Hazel and I mean, it was just, she's just the biggest sweetheart in the world. She has a, an amazing prey drive. Uh, she's just a willingness to please. She, she will hunt for anybody She's uh, she's just a fantastic house dog, and she's a fantastic hunting dog, and just my best bud. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I I won't go hunting without her. I mean, it's just not it's for me. I grab the keys to my truck, and she thinks we're going somewhere, you know. And so I couldn't even grab my shotgun without, you know, I couldn't I couldn't stand looking at her and then seeing her heartbreak if I were to walk out the door with my shotgun and not take her with me. Yeah. So. Yeah, the, the dogs will do that. Two peas in a pod now. Now, when I gotta ask you, when you when you went to that that field trial and you kind of got into the you got into the dog crew, did you find that your network of hunting partners and friends and just knowledge of hunting just kind of exploded? Yeah. So if my wife were talking to you right now, my wife could tell you I could talk to anybody. And that's true. I mean, I could strike up a conversation and talk about anything with anybody. And that I, the buddy I hunted with behind Brittany's, I met him that day out there. 
And I just started chatting away to him. And uh, he, uh, you know, we ended up becoming great friends. I mean, some people, I'm sure they, they look at me and they're like, this dude's weird. And they just, ignore, you know, they just never talk to me again. But, <laughs> you know, pe- people who are like mine and they just like to talk. Um, yeah, and he's just one of those guys. He's a really, really kind-hearted guy. Um, and so we, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that for me, you know, was, was easy. And I got, I started building this network of people, this network of knowledge. I got to, you know, see how my buddies trained with their dogs. I got to see, you know, how do you help encourage, you know, being staunch on point? How do you teach a dog to woe? How do you teach a dog to fetch? And, and, and so when I would, and I would have a challenge or, or a question. Now I have people I can actually ask. I have people that I can bounce ideas off of. And it just made the process so much easier for me. Uh, and obviously, I think it, it, it lent to, to the success that at least I, I have with Hazel. I mean, I didn't mess her up too much. I mean, you know, we, we find birds. I mean, I, I have to, I have to, you know, I got to shoot them now, you know, which is yep. always the challenge. Uh, is connecting but uh yeah i mean it's it is it's nice to be able to have this growing network and and, and to have that growing network going up to the field trials yeah absolutely it's you know it's just i bring it up because it's, it's something that i i don't even know if i've thought about it a lot but but in sort of hindsight retrospect like once i got a dog and i started kind of running in those circles in dog training groups and just getting to know other hundreds of dogs i mean first I, I think just Dog handlers in general, they're just they just seem to be such an open, inviting. They they want people to they want people they want to share their knowledge with people, and, and not only about the dogs but about hunting. And I just think, you know, if anybody's listening and they want to learn about hunting, start with start with a dog group. Go go find a dog yeah. because they because they tend to have events, like you said, like they had an event that you could actually go to. You know, start there because more than likely you're going to find some bird hunters there. And you never know where those connections are going to lead you. Well, I'll tell you from experience because I'm the membership chair now for, for the German Shore Pointer Club here. And, um, you know, they're, they're a always looking for new people. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's how this, that's how this knowledge is passed down. You know, a lot of the people that have been doing it for 20, 30 plus years, you know, I would guarantee a lot of them are not really that adept at social media. So they're not sitting there, you know, videos and things like that that, yep. that they are younger, that, that we are i mean because we understand we understand how to transfer the knowledge that way and so you really have to seek these people out you've got to go find them where they're at because they're not sitting there um you know uh, using instagram and stuff they're out there actually yep. training their dog and, and doing that stuff and so if you're if you can talk to people um they will share so much information with you and you got to understand that you got to be humble when you approach people too. You can't just go and expect them to tell you everything. Yep. You've got to be humble. You got to give them something in return. I mean, you can't go and say, you know, Hey, you know, what's the, what's the secret to training a dog? Oh, and tell me where your secret spot is. Yeah. You know, you go, you put your time in, you know, you show them that you're serious. You show them that you're not a flash in the pan, that this is something that you're serious about and that you have a genuine, you know, there's a genuine earnestness to, to your desire to learn. And, and once they realize that, that you are real and you're legit and, and you're forthright, they will share that they will, t- they will literally will take time to help you. And, Yes, I, I think that those those dog clubs are are underutilized. 
um, in terms of the, the the vast amount of resources that you can gather as a new dog as a new dog owner as an as an older dog owner um, I mean again you I mean you're always going to learn if you leave an if you leave an open mind you're always going to learn something new in life if you are if you approach life in, in, with that way or in that way yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that was very, that was very well put, and and the only thing I will I will just sort of reiterate is yeah that that willingness to learn and like you said you know show a little commitment and keep an open mind and and show people that you want to learn and uh, you'd be surprised what you what you what people will send your way in in the form of of information and knowledge and and friendship you know I mean it's it's important. Um, how much have you learned about chuckers? Is it Chucker or Chuckers? Well, you don't say Deers. Do you? Yeah, you're right. You don't say Deers. I just caught myself there. I don't know if I've ever said okay. Chuckers before until now. But <laughs> how much right. have, how much have you learned about Chucker since you've had your bird dog? Um, you know, I think I did a lot of the hard learning before I had the dog. Okay. Um, I I, I mean I did. You know, for me. What I've learned about the birds is um, is really just you know getting my dog downwind um, you know of the birds and trying to work her to to be successful um, and so being more conscious because when I was hunting you know when I was hunting and I still do to to a certain degree you know I, I try to get to the top of the mountain first it's a heck of a lot easier to hunt them down than it is to try and chase them up. And so I try and get to the top and then I try and figure out and I try and hunt the top and I try to hunt it down. Um, and, you know, and so with her, you know, I, I can kind of get away with more now in terms of just finding the right wind to, to provide her an opportunity to be successful. Cause sometimes the wind's blowing, you know, from the top down and it's, it's not going to, it's not going to help her. Um, so sometimes we have to go, you know, from the bottom up, but yeah. you know, or we have to go side hill or whatever, but, I mean, it's it's more or less for me just being uh, conscientious of, of what the environment is doing now, and uh, and kind of knowing where she is as well. Because I mean, she's about a hundred yard dog. She's not she's not a far. She doesn't reach out far, uh, and that's perfect for me because I you know I want to be able to keep her you know within vision, even though I've got the tracking collar. But for me, it's just more or less being a better handler, uh, and I think that that's probably always the weakest link in the partnership. Uh, is the handler or the inexperience of the handler for me specifically. <laughs> yeah. All right. I want to talk about the Upchucker podcast, but I got one more question regarding the dog and I always, always find this interesting and it's, I imagine it's probably a little bit more of a debated topic in, uh, when we're talking grouse dogs and Northwoods cover, but do you, do you, do you run a, do you run a beeper or a bell or I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to guess that you don't need anything other than your GPS caller, just given the terrain. Yeah, no, I don't run a bell. Uh, I don't run a beeper. I don't run anything like that um, because you know I do. I do rely on the Garmin uh, yeah. to tell me where she is. And I mean, it's just a, the Garmin is just a fantastic interface. Uh, I mean, I haven't had an opportunity to use a sport dog or anything like that. So I mean, I'm speaking, I guess, from from one perspective. Sure. But I mean, I just love. I mean, I, I love the, the the ease of use of the Garmin. And that's what I've been using. And to be honest with you, it's eight hundred dollars, so it's not like I can go out and buy multiples to try out. So <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I keep 
so yeah, I really I just run her uh, her regular uh, ID tag collar, and then I run her her collar, and then I do have her in a vest. I, I've got her in one of those Cabela's uh, ripstop quarter of vests, um, and that helps tremendously because she was a little bit more wider when when she was born and when she was a puppy. But as she's gotten older, she's darkened a lot, which makes it really hard to to see her if she's on point. Oh sure. Uh, in, in high sagebrush. So the orange vest makes it incredibly, it just makes it a, there's a level of protection for her in terms of being impaled. Uh, and then there's also, uh, just, it makes it a heck of a lot easier for me to see where she is and keep tabs on her. Yeah. Now, if, if say the people that you've hunted with, if somebody doesn't have a GPS collar, are they likely to use a beeper or some, some way to locate the dog or are they generally pretty visible? Um, you know, it really just all depends on people's dogs. I mean, I'll tell you right now that a, a buddy of mine's the buddy with the two Britneys, we took both of his dogs out to an area that was, was kind of, it was new to me and he'd kind of been there before. And his, his younger dog, Yukon, um, he was six months old at the time and he had his older dog, uh, uh, Woodford and Woodford would stay pretty close and he was on a GPS collar, but, but. Uh, well, Yukon wasn't. Yukon took off, and we couldn't find him. And we were in the middle of absolute nowhere, and a snowstorm rolled in, and we got dumped on. And we were not wearing appropriate clothing. Uh, I was wearing jeans because you know I was inexperienced. I was wearing jeans. I was wearing a soft shell that didn't really have a degree of water, a DWR to it anymore because I'd worn it and washed it so much. And I got drenched, and I started getting hypothermic, and. We got disoriented. We didn't know where the car was, and we were. I started panicking. I didn't know where the heck we were, and so uh, he, the dog eventually found us. And he went home, and he told his wife, "I'm buying another collar because yeah. that's just that was just that was bad." Not only did a not only were we in a bad situation, but we almost lost the dog as well. So I mean, it was just lucky the dog came back. The dog was scared. I mean, he just ran up over the hill thinking, no, they're right behind me and not realizing that we're human and we're far inferior to a four legged dog. And, uh, and then he didn't know where we were. And so he panicked and, and, and was trying to find us just the same as we were trying to find him. So, um, I think, well, I'll tell you right now that every friend that I hunt with, he has a GPS collar. Yeah. Yeah. We could, we could, uh, we could extend this podcast another hour talking about being prepared for hunts and, and, uh, it's just and, different, you know, it's just different terrain, Nick. I mean, you, yeah. you guys are just dealing with something a little different. I've, I've never experienced that myself, yep. you know, in terms of how thick those covers are. Um, you know, and so it's just, you got, you have to adjust your, to, to the territory and the, and, and to terrain you're hunting in. And that's, you know, the other aspect of hunting is that you have to be adaptable. And so, you know, when you're, when you're one place, you know, a certain gear is appropriate when you're in another place, other gear is appropriate. It's just, it's just kind of, that's the, that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So, all right, Travis, I feel like I've gotten to know you a little bit because I've been listening to your <laughs> podcast over the last couple uh, of weeks. You uh, you started something. It started with the blog, I think, first. I'll let you tell the story, but uh, you you uh, you run upchucker.com and you host the Upchucker podcast. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll start off. I mean, I, I'll just start with the genesis of it all. Um, most of my bright ideas come when I'm driving in my truck from point A to point B. Me too. And by the time I get, by the time I get to point B, I forgot what I was thinking about, <laughs> and and so I uh, yeah, and just so it was you know just another thought that passed through my head. So my father-in-law would write to um, 
my my grand my grandmother in law, my wife's grandma, uh, his mom, after we would go out and hunt, and and he is such a funny writer. He was just so relatable. It was just humorous. It it was engaging, and it was just taking these experiential hunts and just putting the humor in it. And I just always I just always loved reading his stories. And I thought, oh, you know, I'd love to write about something. And I just love to write about something. And and I just never did it. And I ended up, I've, so I've hunted for the last two years, including my, my elk hunt and stuff like that, uh, with a torn meniscus in my left knee. And it was kind of getting to the point where, you know, it was getting, my knee was locking up a lot when I was doing jujitsu and, and, and things like, you know, and, and, and playing, you know, and exercising. And I was like, I got to get, I got to get this thing taken care of before next season. I can't keep doing this. So I went, I had surgery. I finally broke down and got my meniscus fixed on the 7th of March. And the doctor told me, you can't do anything. You got to, you can only get up and move around for, you know, a little bit. And then you got to sit back down and ice it. And I, all I could think of is, that's torture for me. I'm not a person who sits still. I'm moving constantly. It is, it is a uh, an issue for my wife. She hates the. I can't sit still. I'm always <laughs> doing stuff. Yeah. And and so this was this was this required me. It forced me to put my brakes on. And I was bored. And I was around the house. And I was you know off work because of the surgery. And uh, and my wife. I so my wife and I we went to one. We went to a work dinner for her and we got into a conversation with somebody there and that ultimately brought about the first article that I ever wrote which is um, why my hunting partners like my wife's hairdresser and it, it's it's really I, I was trying to relate the the seriousness of your hunting the choice of your hunting partner it's just as serious for me as it is for you in terms of the person you go to, to have to, to, to take care of your hair um, and, and, and she kind of got it, you know, she's like, okay, yeah, I get it now. You know, cause like, you're not just going to go let anybody cut your hair, honey. I know that. And, and I'm just not going to let anybody come hunting with me. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very serious decision in terms of those people that you do go hunting with, um, you know, for safety reasons, for just, for, you know, relational reasons. I mean, some people are just not people you want to hunt with. So I was around the house. And I thought, you know, it would be funny to see if I can actually write about this. So I sat down at the computer, and I, I want to say it was March 23rd. I sat, on, I sat down at the computer early in the morning with a cup of coffee, and, and I finally made it happen. I started writing, and from that, two pieces came from. So it was, I started hunting for the wrong reason, which is actually the piece that has been published in uh, uh, Pursuit International and Harvesting Nature, and then... Um, why my hunting partners like my wife's hairdresser. And so I wrote those and I have a buddy named Travis Bertrand and he is a moderator on the rock slide forum. And he also does reviews and writes for rock slide. And so I said, Hey buddy. And this is, I mean, this is, I think the hardest thing for people when they, when they do this is that like, you're kind of, you're putting yourself out there yep. at the, at the risk of rejection. And you just, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable, but I thought, you know what, what I got to lose. I said, would you mind reading these and telling me if they're crap? Cause if they are, then I'll just hang it up and you know, you know, nobody's got to know about this. Yep. And I sent it to him and you know, he's like, yeah, I like them. They're good. He goes, what do you want to do with them? And I said, well, that's kind of the reason I sent them to you. What would you do with them? And he said, I'd start a blog. And I said, okay. And my wife had actually coincidentally mentioned that to me after she had read them. She's like, you should just 
start a website and put your stuff on there. And I'm like, oh, man, that seems so difficult and involved. And I just, I don't even know where to start. If I have any issues with the computer, I ask you to fix them. You know, like <laughs> I, I'm not the most tech savvy guy. And so, so I say, okay. So I went on GoDaddy and, you know, and I, you know, searched for, you know, the name had come about about a year ago. Okay. I had, I had told her, I said, hey, what do you think of the name Upchucker? Because I actually wanted to like put it on my license plate. And she's like, I think it's stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, I still think it's pretty cool. I think it's funny. It's a double entendre, you know, because uh, Chucker, uh, uh, Chucker's an upland bird, so the up Chucker. Yeah. And then I've also been in circumstances where I've tried to chase those things so hard, but I've actually felt like I wanted to upchuck. So it was it's just kind of a it was a funny little double entendre that yep. I that I kind of, I kind of liked and it just kept recirculating in my head, and so um, I made a bunch of I made some hats for my buddies on our elk hunt. I say hey if I if I made some hats would you guys wear them on this hunt? They're like yeah absolutely. So I made a bunch of hats and I gave them out to some friends around here, um, and that was kind of the that was kind of it. And nothing happened. You know nothing happened for you know from. September to or August, you know, September, August until until March. And so I was like, well, cool. I'll just use this upchucker. I already kind of designed a logo for it. And uh, I just kind of go with that. You know, I like I like it. I think it's hilarious. Um, so I started went on GoDaddy. I developed the website. I got my first couple stories on there. Um, and and then it was just a matter of, you know, the, the inspiration just all of a sudden came from I don't know. It came from nowhere. And I just, I would get up at four in the morning so that it didn't impede the family. And I would write a story, I'd do a little gear review, or I'd write a little fun story. And I just post it on there and, hey, man, just let it ride. And I didn't think anybody would read any of this stuff. I mean, I, I liked it. I thought it was fun. It was a great creative outlet for me. Yep. Um, it was a way for me to sort of rehash those those great memories of, this, of, of these experiences. And so if anything, it would just kind of live, you know, it would just kind of be a living document of, of my, of, of my adventures. And so, um, so that's kind of how it started. I just started writing a little bits and, and I thought I kind of wanted to do gear reviews and I realized I didn't was interested really in doing that stuff. Yep. And, um, and so, I was driving around again in my truck and I thought, so I took those stories and I would just promote them on Facebook and I promote them on Instagram. And, and that's kind of what I did. I just used those form those, those formats as, as ways to promote my writing. Um, and, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I started seeing one person, you know, go and read the story and two people read the story. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, maybe these are probably just my family members reading them, but I mean, it's still nice. You know, it's still humbling. That somebody yep. would take the time to read them. And I try to keep them short. I try to keep them, you know, uh, experiential, humorous, uh, provide a little bit of, uh, you know, knowledge that I've, I've gathered and and just, you know, something that's not going to take up a lot of people's time. And that, that was just kind of the basis. And that still is the basis to my short stories uh, on the blog is just to make them fun, fun to read. And so um, I came up with this concept of the of the Athlete Spotlight series that I run on, on upchecker.com. Because I felt like I know for me that I that I do a lot of conditioning work. Um, I've been training in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for the last nine years. Uh, I do a lot of conditioning work to to get me ready for hunting and to keep me in shape, to keep a base degree of fitness. And I and I knew and I had friends that did the exact same thing. And then when I would go and I'd look around and I you know I didn't really I didn't see anybody who was really being spotlighted for 
that. You would see, you know, guys like Cam Haynes uh, in the big game world. You'd see the big game uh, community doing a great job of pushing uh, what their athletes were doing or what what their what uh, what what the people involved in their sport were doing to really make this a lifestyle. And I knew that this was a lifestyle for a lot of people I knew, and so I I reached out to a buddy and I said, "Hey, man, well, would you be interested?" And this was Jake and Kate. And uh, I said, "Hey, would you be? Because I because you're you're like the best chucker hunter I know." Um, and you know he's ex uh, you know, he's a former world kayak champion, freestyle champion. He's a Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt. I mean, he's an ultra marathon runner. This guy is he's legit. So I said, "Hey." would you be willing to participate in this concept that I have of profiling, uh, you know, upland athletes or or upland hunters that are really getting after it? And he's like, yeah, it'd be great. And then that kind of snowballed. Um, That really opened up a lot of doors and conversations came from that with him of, Hey, you know what, you know, what do you think about a podcast? And he just said, I think that'd be great. A lot of people like podcasts. And all I could think about at the time was, Oh my gosh, I can barely manage a website. You know, like, (laughs) <laughs> the podcast to me, I mean, it's like it's 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 alien. I have no idea where to start. Like, I don't even know. Gosh, I don't. I don't even. I have no idea where to start. It was so intimidating for me. So I said, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm just going to keep running this athlete spotlight because I love doing it. I loved pushing those people out there that that really hadn't got the credit they deserved for what they were doing. Uh, and and then, but this idea of the podcast really kind of stuck around, and so. Um, I ended up finding, I ended up having, I I had a buddy who I found out actually, uh, did, uh, some podcasting. So I just started picking his brain and he kind of helped me sort of buy some initial equipment, which, uh, then I kind of shanghaied my brother into like practicing podcasting and, you know, in our house, (laughs) you know, and and I was just, I didn't really, you know, I was like, oh, I don't really you know, that guy doesn't sound right. And so I was just so finicky about the microphones and, um, uh, and really just trying to figure out like if this was something I was really serious about. And so I, I, I just kind of went in and just kind of jumped in with both feet and bought a, you know, bought, you know, a, a program on the computer for, for editing. And, and I just threw researching websites uh what people would already put out there in terms of equipment and how to podcast and then watching youtube videos because there's a thousand of them out there yeah um i just said i think i can do this i think this is something that i could actually do and that and kind of in that process i i I, you know the the chucker chasers and i uh developed a friendship and and a kind of a business relationship and and i presented to them i said hey i want to start this podcast and i mean it's going to be out by the end of the month excuse me and uh i said would you guys be interested in in coming on board with it and and they i mean you know god bless them i mean they they had they had no idea what was going to come of this and they just believed in me um and they said yeah man that sounds great we'd love to be a part of that and i was like Oh my gosh, this is actually real. Like this is like something that's going to happen. So yeah, I just let it ride. And I thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Nobody wants to listen to it. I mean, if, if it all ends tomorrow, nobody wants to listen to it, you know, and everybody stops reading my stories. It's like, I'm still, I'm still, you know, a dad and, and, and a husband. I'm still, you know, I'm still somebody at home. It's not like, you know, it's, and I think that, that, 
that pressure off of me, knowing that makes this so much more fun and it makes it a passion. And I put a lot of time and work into this and so, you know, like audio quality and all those things. And, and my family's just so patient. And, uh, and, but, it, but I think because I don't have that pressure, it's just incredibly fun to do. And I do it because I'm just passionate about writing now, passionate about interviewing interesting people and learning from them. And it's just fun, man. I, I don't know if you feel the same way about it, but it's just so much fun to do. Yeah. I, I, uh, that, that was a, that was a great, great background. And I appreciate that, Travis. I, I, I think, uh, what you're doing with Upchucker is awesome. And I, I hope to see more of it from, from you and, and lots of other people. I think it's really cool. And I talked a little bit about this on Tyler Webster's podcast and that, yeah, I mean, we could, we could not be recording this and you and I could be having almost the exact same conversation. I mean, the structure might be a little bit different, but you're at the end of the day, we're talking to other upland hunters and we're learning, you know, I've, I've never, I've never been chucker hunting, but, but I feel like I know a little bit more about it after talking to you. And, and, uh, I interviewed well, Bob Michael, oh, you know, a while ago and yeah, it's, it's just, it's very cool. It's, it, it's a, it's a good format. I mean, the podcast format is, is, it has a ton of potential and it can be super informational if, when it's, when it's done the right way. And, and it can be a lot of fun too. So I, uh, I like it and, uh, Keep it up. What's what's next? What's next? Uh, what's what's in the works for us on the Upchucker podcast? Uh, well, you know what? So I just published a new one today with Edgar Castillo of Hunt Birds. Um, so that's up today. So I'll push that out on social media tomorrow for people. So I mean, I'm sure by, by the time you post this, it'll be yesterday or something like that. Yeah. But um, I just put that up there. So my goal is, you know, I I think like you and Tyler, I try to get up, uh, you know, one a one a week. Um, and so, you know, it's just continuing to build that content, uh, especially to provide that content over the summertime when we're sort of in that lull uh, of, uh, you know, between the season. So, you know, really that. And then I am going to do my first Himalayan snowcock hunt coming up in August. So I got to do some scouting this summer. Um, so I'll probably do, uh, some podcasting in terms of, you know, sort of what I've experienced, uh, what I've learned, uh, for people. Cause it's, it seems to be kind of an, an interesting topic in terms of people's desire to want to do that this year. I've been contacted by some people and, and, I, and all I know is, you know, I, my buddy Jake Kincaid, he's got, he's got the answer to that riddle. He knows exactly where to go. Um, he's got it down. And so I'm going to have him on the podcast, uh, here in the next week or so, and we're gonna we're not gonna talk about necessarily where to go, but we're gonna talk about how do you get started uh, if you want to go to the Rubies, uh, the Ruby Mountains, uh, Eastern Nevada, and, and hunt snowcock. It's uh, it's not for the faint of heart, that's for darn sure. Uh, but you know, there people seem to to want to take that challenge on, and I'm one of those people. And and there's just really not a lot of information out there for people. So without you know, creating, uh, you know, an issue with, you know, sharing any, any, any of that information that was hard earned, uh, in terms of where to go, but in terms of how to approach a hunt like that, what are some considerations from somebody who's been successful at it? That's, that's actually one of the podcasts I'm really looking forward to. And that's actually one of the hunts I'm really looking forward to this year because the Ruby mountains are just gorgeous. Um, you know, 10,000 foot peaks. I mean, it's like I said, not for the faint of heart, but uh, again, you're just in in just just 
the most picturesque uh, conditions and environment, and and just you have to humble yourself in front of Mother Nature doing doing stuff like that. That's for sure. Absolutely, sounds like a hell of a hunt. I got one more question yeah, for you, Travis. Uh, let's hope that there's somebody out there listening that maybe they've never chucker hunted. Maybe they're just getting into it. They don't know where to start. What advice would you give them to, uh, to help them get going in the right direction? So the first thing I would do is if you're coming from out of state, um, is you're going to want to look, you do your Google search. You can also reach out to somebody like me. You know, if that's something that you're really interested in and you want to get some information, you want to get some tactics, you can reach out to me on social media. Uh, that's something I'm always open uh, to do is, is to provide you with, with the knowledge that I've learned. But, you know, do some Google scouting. Figure out, you know, kind of where where geographically is more feasible for you to go to. I mean, if you're, you know, you're not going to drive to Vegas if you're coming from Oregon. You don't need to. Uh, the, the cool thing about Chucker is that they can be found almost throughout the state. So, you know, all you have to do is just find some elevation and uh, and find the water and find your access points and just make sure you're on public land unless you have permission to be on private uh, and and go that direction. There's a lot of information in terms of, you know, the scientific name of uh, uh, outdoors chucker or, um, you know, that the partridge that it is. You can you can find out a lot about its habitat. Because obviously it's not it's non native to the U.S. It was brought in in yep. the 20s, and so you know there's 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 information out there in terms of where it was found, uh, about the bird, what what habitat it likes, where you can find it. So there is a lot of there's a lot of information online about it. I would I would go and learn about the bird, learn about how it looks and what it looks like in flight, because that's another thing too. Is that you know they're I think you can probably understand this. Like once you become a more proficient bird hunter or you, you just kind of used to seeing birds flush, you almost can kind of freeze frame when they're flushing. You can kind of make out those details in the very beginning. You probably couldn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I can see, like when I, when I can see the difference between blue grouse and sage grouse flush, you know, I can look at small details like the shape of the tails, you know, those are the things I'm picking up on. And you want to make sure that, you know, you are identifying the correct bird when you go out there because you, you can find yourself. And I did this last year where I found myself hunting blue grouse where there was sage grouse and then where there was chucker. And I, when I flushed all three of them, you know, within a, you know, quarter mile. So, I mean, make sure that you know, the species that you're hunting make sure you know the areas that are open if, if there's an area that's closed it's not necessarily a situation with with chucker but make sure you know the season dates uh, make sure that you know uh, you can identify the bird um, look for appropriate habitat and that's easy to find online you're going to look for high elevations to steep terrain you're going to look for rim rocks uh, those are sort of the, the fallen rocks or the the rocks jutting out of the side of the mountain uh, thing they love to just sit up there and roost uh, you're going to look for you know steep draws you're going to look for feed uh, grasses things like that on open slopes you're going to look for water is there a guzzler nearby uh, you can you can buy guzzler maps uh, from the nevada department of wildlife uh, which actually tell you where, where the artificial watering sites are so that you can maybe give you a place to start and the roads to get there um you know those are just some tips to, that you can kind of start and then you know find ask ask people i mean if if you're into bird hunting generally 
there's a network of information where somebody has probably hunted chucker in an area that you want to go um, or has or knows somebody. And so work your network, you know, work, work your network to try and narrow down an area. You don't they don't you don't have to tell them, hey, give me your spot, but just narrow an area down so that I'm not looking at thousands of acres i'm you know i'm, con- I'm condensed to maybe a mountain range especially if you're coming from any state and you know you want it, it wants to be condensed um but i mean if you're a native nevadan and this is something that you're just you want to get into i mean gosh you just point at a mountain and i'm sure you're going to find checker around here awesome man appreciate that where can people find uh more about you and the cool stuff you got going at up checker First, like you just said, you can go to upchecker.com. You can follow the athlete, uh, the athlete spotlight series. Got some, a uh, couple new ones coming up. Um, and then you obviously you can follow the Upchecker podcast on iTunes. You can find it on Castbox FM, Spotify. It even goes to my Upchecker Nevada YouTube page. All of my episodes are published on there. And then if you have any questions, if you if you're interested in learning more, uh, and maybe the podcast isn't sort of uh, you know you know filling in filling in the voids yet, uh, just reach out to me on social media. Send me a message. Um, I appreciate the feedback and i will absolutely respond back to you because uh, i hate when i get blanked on emails <laughs> so <laughs> if you send me an email i will get back to you so good stuff travis i really appreciate you joining me on the project up from the podcast this was fun we'll uh we'll keep in touch uh, i've got probably some chucker questions and podcasting questions for you we'll uh i'm sure we got plenty to talk about but thanks again man i appreciate it and uh good luck with everything you got going at up chucker Thanks, Nick. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, buddy. I appreciate it. It's great getting to know you. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Take care, buddy. See ya. You've been listening to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode. As your host, I would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp and Onyx Maps. Head over to projectupland.com. We've got it all for you there. Articles, videos, more great stuff from Project Upland and Northwoods Collective. Check it out at projectupland.com. And don't forget, you could be next week's winner of the Project Upland podcast gear giveaway. All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast. Hit that little subscribe button. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner. Also, we would love to hear from you please use the contact form at projectupland.com or send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We could talk about bird dogs. We could talk about shotguns. We could talk about hunting trips you have planned. We can talk about future podcast guest suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email. That's it for this week's episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.